Good morning. So today, the next chapter is Moses. We're going to have a look at Moses. And particularly when he encounters a bush that has become on fire. So let me set the stage for you so far. After the account of Joseph, the last couple of weeks we've looked at that, um, the people of Israel are now living as aliens. So God's chosen people are living as aliens in Egypt. And for a long time, a long time now, they've been treated as slaves. And a Jewish child is born, and his name is Moses. What happens next is there is an order of the king to kill all Jewish babies. So his mother, Moses' mother, hides him. And then, by an absolute providential rescue, he is rescued by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in the court. So Moses was abandoned, and then he was rescued. As an adult, he defends one of his own and kills an Egyptian. And then Moses flees and ends up in the land of Midian. So that's where we're picking up the story. We're picking up the story here in Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire. It did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Then the Lord saw what he had, that he had gone over to look. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. I'm not sure about you, but when a bush starts speaking to me, I think I might not say, here I am. I think I might do a runner. Not sure what are you thinking? I can hear some giggles. Moses could see that this wasn't an ordinary fire, no ordinary bush, and it was calling his name. So let's continue. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. I think that's what they say. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians are oppressing them. I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Okay, so not only is a bush speaking in the middle of the desert, God himself coming, which in itself can blow our minds, 
speaking to Moses, this abandoned boy, then rescued and saying, this is a problem. It's a huge problem. And you are going to help. You're going to be the one. I think his reaction is similar to how maybe ours might be. Verse 11. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Almost, what? Is there someone else in the desert right now that you're speaking to? Who am I? I wonder if we can relate to this. All of the words this morning, all of the things that we've been doing is directing us to God being over and above everything. Do we sometimes, like Moses, hold back? I wonder what might hold us back. Terry Virgo, who used to be the leader of the churches that we're connected to, New Frontiers, he said this about this passage. When God prompts, why hold back? Moses had a burning bush, but still made excuses. I wonder, do we make excuses? Why do we hold back? Moses definitely made excuses, and if we jump for a minute to Exodus chapter 4, we'll come back again. But in Exodus chapter 4, we read this. Moses answered, in this kind of excuse kind of way, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And what if they say, the Lord did not appear to you? What if? What if they do that? What if they just say, So he's making up the excuses. I wonder whether we relate to this. I I definitely do. So if God says something to me, even if he says it directly through the Bible, I might still say, "Uh, not sure. And do we relate to this? So if God came to us right now and he said, no, hang on, let's put this as a scenario. Say we're in the supermarket. So we're not in spiritual mode of being in church. We are in the supermarket and God says very clearly to us, Go and speak to the lady at the cheese counter and tell her that I love her. What happens if he does that? What are we going to do? I suggest to you, some of us may be brave, but some of us may just think, what, me? Are you sure? What if she says to me, go away, you lunatic? What if she says to me, what are you doing to talking to me? I'm selling cheese. What if she does this? Are we relating to this? And Moses is there with God, with this burning fire of God's presence, and he says the same thing. He says the same thing. What if? He makes up a potential response. So does God leave him? No, he doesn't give up on him. He gives gives Moses many, many signs that he would be with him. He tells him the plan. He tells him to go to Pharaoh. He tells him he's going to help lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And then God uses some really interesting signs, quite crazy ones. Some of us may have heard of them, some of us not, that he is with him. He says to Moses, the stuff that you're holding in your hand, throw that on the ground. And then when it went on the ground, it turned into a snake, And then when he picked it back up again, it wasn't one. Hey, Moses, it's not just any old person telling you to do this. I am with you. He has other signs as well. I won't go into them all now, but they're all signs of Jesus, of God being with Moses when he says you can do this. 
But the next excuse, the next excuse came. But I'm not very eloquent. I can't speak to Pharaoh. I'm not sure I can do this. So he questions himself. He questions the what if, and he questions himself. God talked to him, and the conversation went like this. Now go, I will help you speak, and will teach you what to say. But Moses said this, and I think this is, when we think of Moses, we don't always think of Moses making excuses. We don't always think of Moses saying no. We don't always think of Moses. We think of some of the stories that we're going to talk about in a minute. We think of the fact that he's this amazing guy of faith. But right here, he says, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. No, not doing it. I'm not going to, God. I can't quite believe he did it. But I can if I think about myself. And I can if I think about Christians throughout the ages. And then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I'm not sure you used that tone, but I think it might be there. I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand, the one he told him to, that what would happen when he used it. Take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. So back to that statement that Terry Virgo said, Moses had a burning bush and still made excuses. He did. Actually said, no, I can't. And God said, you can. And he even used someone else to help him along the way. Are we holding back to God, from God? Are we holding back from what he might have said to us? Are we excluding ourselves from his promises, his declarations, his truth over us? The thing is, God, when he asks us to do something, when he puts something on our heart, there is a given. And the given comes in verse 12, back to Exodus 3. I will be with you. I will be with you. And when we're making excuses, when we're deciding we can't, when we say no, that's the bit we've forgotten, isn't it? I will be with you. What has God spoken to us about? What's in our lives, I wonder? Do we need to remember this as a church, as individuals? I am with you. He is with us. Maybe this thing that he's asked us to do is something to do with stepping out in faith, stepping out of our comfort zone, stepping out into something new. Maybe this thing is to do with something to do with our past, forgiving someone from our past maybe, getting rid of the things that are holding us back to push forward. Maybe they are some of the things that could be stopping us, preventing us. I am with you, he says to us, just like I was with Moses. The next key text is absolutely key to I think everything that we have said because here we find the crunch of it all the crucial part of our faith 
the reason why God was with the Israelites, the reason why he's with us, the reason why he sent Jesus, the reason why we can, because he says it. God says to Moses, verses 14 to 15, God said, I am who I am. This is what you are to say. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your forefathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Mind-blowing truth. God is the I am, the absolute Lord, the, the Hebrew, Hebrew word for Lord, Yahweh, is Lord, means it's everything. Everything, summed up in two words, I am. I am. This has got to be the crucial part of anything. When we're looking at what has God said, what does God ask us, the crucial part of everything is who he is. And he says, I am. Everything. And this is either true or it's some kind of riddle because it goes like this. He says, I am because I am. Therefore, you are who you are and you can do what I, what I say you can. I am who I am. You are who you are because of who I am. <laughs> That's what he says. It is the backdrop to everything. Every decision we make, every career choice, every relational issue, every moral choice, everything. If the backdrop is who he is, then we can. Our heavenly perfect father calls us his children. That good, good father that we sang about. Our identity to him is so important because he changes it. He makes it. He calls us. And he declares over us, I am. And that makes you who you are. The thing is, we don't always get this, do we? We get bogged down with stuff. We get bogged down with distractions. That word was even used earlier. Bogged down by what culture might tell us is true bogged down with worries or fears about what the future might look like, distracted by other things that might be outside of God's best, distracted by thinking that we know best. Moses thought he knew best about his inadequacies. And he knew he'd got some. So when we say, I can't because I've got this, we're not just making excuses sometimes. Sometimes we know We've got those inadequacies. But God knew best about his abilities. And the task he had for him wasn't beyond his capabilities because God was with him. I felt that today, as I was praying about the service, I felt that apathy was relevant for some of us. We used to be excited about who God was, who God is. But somehow, somewhere, we've lost this enthusiasm. The dictionary definition of apathy is lack of interest, enthusiasm, 
or concern. And I wonder, do some of us maybe relate to that? A lack of interest in who God really is. A lack of enthusiasm about how amazing and huge and massive it is that he is in charge, that he is over us and that he loves us. Or concern. In this life right now, am I that concerned about what God might say? Maybe some of us relate to that. Also, as I was praying, I thought that some of us were believing lies, actual lies, about something to do with ourselves that God wants to unpick. When I was a lot younger, um, someone told me never, ever to tell a part of my story. So it was something I'd messed up on, and it was something that was fundamental in probably the need to share with at least a few people. But I was told to keep it secret. And I was also told that if I told anyone, I would have no friends, and I would never get married. So silence was my only plan. Keep it hidden. You can hide this thing forever. It's not current. It's past. Hide it. And I believed this, and I'm saying now it was a lie. Because it messed with who I was, well, who I believed I was. It messed with that. And this lie took me forward, and I took it as something that would prevent me doing some of the things that God might say to other people, but not to me, because of this thing that was hidden from my past. The truth was... God had got my back covered, and the thing was covered by him. The lie was, I had to keep it a huge secret, and when it came out, if it ever came out, then my whole world would fall apart, and I would never, ever be used by God again. What actually happened was I lost perspective of myself, and I actually lost perspective of what the thing was, but I didn't know that when I was in it. I finally spoke up because I couldn't do it anymore. What had happened was I'd I'd found God in such a greater level that I knew so many truths about him. I knew this lie didn't stack up to who he was. What I didn't know was what my future might look like if it came out. But I did know it was time to speak up. And this is the perspective that Moses needed. And later, he gained it in abundance. The perspective of the truth is the truth. And when God says it, it can happen. And he is with you. Moses understood this to the point of being the most influential person in the history of our faith. One of them anyway. He learned to trust God that he would be with him because he said he would. The I am had given him a plan and he said he'd be with him. Moses could have said when he started to disbelieve it all and made excuses, well, that's me done. I've omitted myself from God's plans now because I messed up right at the beginning. I didn't take him at his word, so therefore I'm out of whatever he might have had for me. But he didn't do that. In fact, after he died, you can read in Deuteronomy 34 that no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, 
whom the Lord knew face to face. He did all those signs and wonders that he had, as he sent to do when he was in Egypt, when God sent him to do whilst he was in Egypt. So we hear that he did them all, all of the things that he was sent, he did. No greater prophet, because he got hold of this. In my situation, my life did turn around. So what happened was I believed the truth of who God was and that he was with me and that he is the I am. I then stepped out in the truth, which was the risky bit. I stepped out in it. And it was worth stepping out into. I put it to you that whatever the consequences, it would have still been worth stepping out into because it was the truth and it was with God. The freedom I found is like the freedom we prayed about and sang about today. Freedom, total freedom in the I am. Because I was bound by this thing. And like I said, when I was praying, there was this apathy and there was these lies that just kept coming up. Why are we bound? I was bound by lies. And I was free when the truth came. God's grace brings that freedom. Moses had either a random moment with a bushfire or he had a life-changing encounter that ultimately blew him away and blew the history of the nation of Israel into a whole new level. Moses teaches us it's not too late. When he hesitated, God was gracious. Moses became one of the founders of this story of Israel that we've been hearing about and we will continue to hear about. And he's known as this faith-filled hero. Moses had to hang on to the promise that God would be with him through many times in his life. He did lead the Israelites to Egypt. Moses did guide them to a place of milk and honey. He had tough, tough times ahead, but God was with him. He held on to these promises as he went through plagues, as he crossed the Red Sea. These are massive things to do. He had to know God was with him. He received the Ten Commandments. These things are still the basis of our laws right now. The foundation of our heritage, the foundation of us, the foundation of faith. Moses learned to respond not to who he was himself, but to who God is. He never, ever reached the promised land himself. He died before he got there. But he led the people of God there as God has, had asked him. Faith-filled choices. What an example of faith-filled choices. Are we encouraged? Are we spurred? Are we excited about having faith-filled choices in our lives? Trusting in God to face the real challenges that might be ahead. We're told in scripture, as we draw near to God, he draws near to us. Draw near to God. Don't distance yourself and exclude yourself from his promises. Draw near to him. Draw near to God. He is our good, good father. Jesus, when he came, 
made many I am statements about who he was. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the door, the way. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. In Matthew 28, Jesus uses another I am, which is really relevant to our story today. I'm just going to read it out now. This is to his disciples just before he ascends back into heaven. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There we go again. I am with you always. Always. Jesus gives his followers a fantastic parallel here to the Moses passage. When Moses heard at the burning bush, I am with you always, here Jesus is saying, I am with you always. The I am God called Moses to rescue the people out of slavery. He called him to do it. And he said, I am. Jesus, the I am, calls us to rescue people out of slavery today. He calls us to tell others about who he is, which is the ultimate rescue in our lives. Our God, our Savior, is with us. He's on our journey. He's in our lives. Tough times, good times, every time. John Piper's a theologian and an author, and some of his stuff's really exciting to read. I don't know whether you've ever found his Desiring God website online. Anyway, he was talking to his leaders about this passage, and he was then talked to the church, and he said, this is who we are as a bunch of leaders. This is who we are. This is what we want. This is what we want for us, us as a church. And I'm just going to read it to us. You can either read it with me, or you can close your eyes and have a ponder. This is what we believe. God is. It is a wildly untamable, explosively uncontainable, electrically future-creating reality that God is. Therefore, it is a cosmic outrage billions of times over that God is ignored, treated as negligible, questioned, criticized, treated as virtually nothing, and given less thought than the carpet in people's houses. Being the most significant reality there is, nothing is rightly known apart from its relationship to him. He is the source and goal and definer of all beings and all things. We will therefore be a God-besotted people to know him, to admire him, to make him known as glorious is our driving passion. He is simply overwhelmingly dominant in our consciences, 
all will be related to him. We exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of God. I want to be that too. Don't know about you. I want to be that, a God-besotted people. I'd like to be known as a God-besotted person. Or are we distracted? Are we distracted or are we besotted? Holding on to his promises, whatever. I am, therefore you can. I'm going to conclude now by saying he is with us. He is with us. Maybe today is your day to turn this stuff around. Maybe it's yours to make a commitment to this Jesus who says, I am the way. Maybe today you know you've got a calling and you know you're excluding yourself from it. Maybe today it's time to pick up the truth again of who he is because he is the I am. It is finished, Jesus said, when he died on the cross. He died to give us life, that we might live our lives to the full, full of the hope, full of purposes, full of joy, full of goodness, because of who he is, the I am. I'm going to finish there.